The reading is from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9. These are not the words of Matthew, these are the words of Jesus. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you. Well, it is uh, the first day of uh, 2023, uh, and I wonder if you've been thinking as I have, and as Lucy and I have, about what you're going to get up to uh, in 2023. Any New Year's resolutions? Uh, I, I've decided I'm going to go on a carnivore diet, not because I want to lose weight, I just like meat. No, no, I, I think, I, but we, we make those kind of things, don't we? We go, okay, I'm going to eat a bit better. I'm going to do some things uh, in, the, in 2023. Uh, really, it comes down to how, how are we going to find joy? Uh, what do we think we can do this year to make us happier? How can I find a bit more joy? Uh, one of the things uh, I want to do is, uh, is use the rowing machine that Brendan Corner gave me about 12 months ago that has been used a few times, uh, and by a few I mean three. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm intending to use that a bit more this year. What, what, what made your list? Uh, as you thought about what do I want to do this next year uh, to maximise joy, to, to find some extra satisfaction? Uh, maybe it was around health. Maybe it was about quitting some habit or starting a new habit that you'd like to start. Maybe it was just about sort of being a better person, you know, just, oh, I'm just going to do better in life generally. Maybe you want to work harder, maybe you want to spend less and save more. Uh, it's interesting as you talk to people and look at news resolutions, often uh, it's actually around relationships. Uh, this year I want to, I'd like to invest in this particular relationship. Uh, and this January, as we're digging into the Lord's Prayer, uh, it's really applicable as we think about this New Year's resolution, as we think about relationships, uh, because fundamentally that's what prayer is. Uh, prayer is uh, an expressed relationship. See, if I have a friend that I never talk to, can I really call them a friend? Oh yeah, well we don't really talk anymore. Well, are they my friend? Am I really in a relationship with them? Uh, prayer is a communication platform with God. It's an expression of the relationship uh, we have. And as we work through the Lord's Prayer, you've, you've probably heard of the Lord's Prayer. It might be very familiar. You might have even been uh, mouthing those words as Alan read out for us. You might know them off by heart. But the Lord's Prayer is more than just a mantra. It's more than something we can memorise and recite. It's even more than something that we can say together. It actually holds the key to joy, to satisfaction and real, true peace uh, in any year, but particularly this year as we st step into 2023. Um, so the first is we're going to work through not the whole of the Lord's Prayer, just one verse, verse 9 today. Uh, we're going to see who the relationship is between, that is God and us. Uh, we're going to see what is the nature of this relationship that we have with God uh, and what is this promise of true satisfaction? How can we get it? Um, so that's uh, where we're headed. Um, so God and us, that's who's in this relationship. Now, if, if someone said to you, uh, I want you to prepare a address 
uh, something you're going to say to the Lord of the universe, the King of glory, the eternal, all-powerful creator and sustainer of all things. What, what formal address would you say? You know, you'd, your majesty, your honour, you know, some, I don't know what you'd say, but how does, how does Jesus open as he invites us to pray? He says, address God like this, our Father in heaven. It's quite shocking. It might not be shocking for you if you're familiar with it, but it should be shocking. This is the God of the universe. And it's really important to recognize that calling God Father isn't the default position for humans. I think that's something in Christianized Australia we can assume. Oh, you live in Australia, you're a human being, God's your Father. That's the default position. And then you step out of that if you want. We can assume that, but that's not the case. Uh, see, the case is that God is a king and we are rebels. We are rebels against our king. We have ignored him. We've disobeyed him. We've gone our own way. I don't know if you can imagine in a faraway land where there's a king over his kingdom and he's righteous and just. He's a good judge who punishes wickedness. And a rebel who's unrelated to the king just saunters up to the judgment seat. Uh, confident, familiar, assuming they will be welcomed as a beloved child despite their disobedience of the king's laws. It would never happen, would it? That, that's not how it works. Yet that is the way the Bible describes God. We see God describe himself in the Bible not as a benevolent, uh, uh, impotent forgiver of all, but God describes himself as good and just and righteous and a king and a judge. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, uh, here's what Paul writes about God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God is a God of wrath because he's just, he's a judge and he can't tolerate sin. He can't tolerate wickedness. And that's a good thing. It would be terrible to have a ruler, a king who was unjust who didn't punish wickedness. But the problem is that we are counted with the wicked because we are the ones who have ignored God. We are the ones who have rebelled against God. We are the ones who have broken God's commands and treated him and other people badly. So we are the ones whom God pours out this wrath on. That sort of gets picked up there where uh, Jesus says, our Father in heaven, a little reminder. He's not just a father, he's the father in heaven. Uh, the one who sits above all things, the ruler, the judge. He's righteous and holy. So how can we call him father? What right do we have to come to this God, this judge, and call him father? Well, see, this prayer uh, is, is not just an invitation for anyone to call God father. But in Christ, this prayer is given for those who've trusted in Jesus. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus these words. He says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship, 
through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So how does someone become a child of God? How do I, a sinner, a rebel, one who has ignored God, become a child? Well, it's actually in Christ, Paul writes. See, that's why Jesus came. We celebrated Christmas, not just because it's a nice story, but because Jesus, God's son, came to live a perfect life, to grow and die an atoning death. That word atoning means to, to pay for the consequence of sin, to deal with the debt that I had to my righteous king, that we all had. And through him, we can be adopted into Jesus' place as sons. Now, that's not a uh, particular pointy gender specific thing to make ladies feel bad. It's saying you have the full rights of heirs. You could say sons and daughters, but it's saying you get the full inheritance, the full inheritance. Where all the same if we're God's children, full-blown children, full heirs and love children of God. So if we have taken up God's offer in Christ, we get to call him father. But how then? Well, what, what then is our relationship? What, what sort of attitude can we come to God with? How do we relate to him? Well, it means we can come to God not as the judge, but in the privileged position of him being our father. Uh, I, I heard that there was a particular president, uh, I can't remember which one, uh, but he had uh, personal access for his children to come into the Oval Office whenever they wanted. Uh, now, if I wanted to get an appointment with Mr Albanese, uh, I don't think I could, to be honest. I, I don't think I could pull enough strings or, or apply. I don't think I could just turn up and, and get an appointment with our Prime Minister. But I'm assuming his immediate family, his children, can that they turn up at the gates and the security guards don't turn them away like they'd turn me away. That they get to the front door and they're not pushed aside. That they walk down the hallway and into his office and there's dad. It's a privileged position to be a child, to have a father you can approach. But in our world where relationships aren't always perfect, sometimes there's complicated emotions when you hear the word father. Uh, maybe you had a great dad. Uh, maybe you didn't have a dad at all. Maybe it's been a kind of mixed or confusing relationship with your father. But what God invites us into is a relationship with him as father that is like no other. See, he is the perfect father on which all other fathers like myself aspire and fail to achieve. We can come to God as father trusting him trusting that he will always do what is right. That could be hard when we've been hurt by those we've trusted, but we can approach him as father. We come to him as father loved, loved. Now, sometimes that can be hard to believe when you know God knows everything about you that you've done, thought, felt or said. Yet he loves us completely and utterly. He's demonstrated that in Jesus, that he's loved us so much that he gave us his son so that we could be his children. We can come to him as father confident, 
And this is a big one because shame makes us hide away. I don't know if you do that, but I do. I'll avoid people when I'm feeling ashamed. I'll avoid conversations. I want to kind of hide away. That's our natural instinct if we feel ashamed. But with God, well, we can't hide anywhere. But he invites us in Christ to come to him confident, completely forgiven. Now, we're going to explore that in another couple of weeks. But it is an incredible thing. The perfect father, we can come to him confident. And we can come to him dependent. Uh, I don't particularly like asking for help. I don't know if you do. Uh, But I would much rather figure it out on my own uh, than have to pick up the phone or go and say, hey, actually, I need some help. Uh, And it's usually after I've been fiddling with my tractor for a couple of hours, I've broken something, and then I think, okay, I'll ring Dad. He probably knows how to fix this. I should have done it first. Uh, But it's coming dependent. I ring up, hey, Dad, do you know how to fix an injector pump on a tractor? And, And he talks me through it. Uh, That's what we can do with God. But instead of doing what I do and holding back and trying to be self-sufficient, we can come to independent, knowing that he longs to help us out in every way at every time. He is the best father, no matter what. And that's hard even when the best worldly fathers can't be perfect. But our heavenly father longs to give us true satisfaction and that's what we see here in this first line of the lord's prayer see different fathers want different things for their children uh maybe uh you know fathers who want their children to be excellent swimmers uh the ducks at school maybe you know fathers who want their children to have happy relationships or be great with animals or they want their children to be generous and compassionate uh what's a what's a proud dad moment Uh, I've had a couple of these, uh, usually when uh, it's my children have done something uh, alongside with animals that I go, yeah, you you really get this, or they they can uh, chop up a sheep on their own or something like that. You know, that's my girl, proud dad moment. Uh, What is it for God, what's his proud dad moment? When he looks down on his children adopted in Christ and think, That is the attitude, that's the attribute that I long to see in my children. What attribute or attitude delights God in his children? Well, Jesus shows us in the way he teaches us to pray. Because Jesus is the perfect and true son of God, the child who God delights in. And what does he teach us to ask for? Well, what we ask for first shows priority, doesn't it? It shows what's most important. And what Jesus shows us to ask for first is all about God. Hallowed be your name. Now, that's not just a statement. It's not a statement that God's name is hallowed, whatever that means. Uh, But what it actually means is more like this. It's, It's a request. It's a request that's saying, may your name be hallowed or let your name be hallowed. I want this to happen. A name in the Bible, someone's name is far more than just the the word that you use to get someone's attention. Uh, It means who they are. Someone's name encapsulates their essence, them. So so when uh, Jesus teaches to pray, hallowed be your name, he's saying hallowed be everything that you are, God. Hallowed be you. Well, what does hallowed mean? Well, hallowed means to be seen as holy, to be lifted up as holy. You might say revered or honoured. 
to be seen for the glorious God that he is. So, so what's that going to look like? What's it going to look like to hallow God's name? Well, it will be more than just not using God's name as a swear word, although it's probably at least that, I'd suggest. Uh, but uh, it is far more than that. See, if someone you love does something great, you delight in seeing them recognised. I don't know if you've had that experience, where someone you love is getting an award or a nomination, uh, and you think, they have earned that. Yeah, they deserve to get that honour. They deserve to get that recognition. They deserve to get that. And you can rejoice, you can celebrate in them receiving the recognition that is owed to them. Because you see them as worthy. You say, I always knew they deserved that award. But now everyone else sees them as worthy. See, if we see who God is, if we see what God has done, how worthy he is of everything, then we want everyone to see that he's worthy. See, when we ask, hallowed be your name, may your name be hallowed, first and foremost, we're asking that our own desires be perfected. And we're also confessing what we really desire. We're saying, God, can you change my heart so that more than anything else, I long to see you honoured. Hallowed be your name. May your name be hallowed first in my heart. Change my attitude so that what I want most in this life, more than anything else, is that you, your name, be honoured and glorified. Let my deepest desire be that your name is hallowed. It functions as an introductory sentence and an overarching tone for this whole prayer. It's saying, Father, I, I'm going to ask all these other things, but in all those things, make your name great. There's a great illustration saying that when we pray to ask God to glorify his name or hallow his own name, we're not asking, it's not in the way that a microscope makes something small look bigger, as though God's glory is smaller needs magnifying. No, it's the way that a telescope makes unimaginably large things visible. The way a telescope can make invisible galaxies that are unimaginably huge and glorious just allows them to be seen and appreciated. So that's what we're saying. We're not saying to God, hey, God, your name, it's not that impressive. Please make yourself more impressive. We're not saying that. We're saying, Father... You are worthy, you are glorious. But I, we, our world so often fails to see your glory. Like an unimaginably beautiful galaxy that we struggle to glimpse. Let me see your glory. Let me understand it and hallow it, lift it up, revere it, honour you and your glory, who you are above all things. And, and as we marvel at the glory of your name, as we marvel at the glory of God's name, we also pray, let me, let us, let our whole world see you as worthy. That's what we're saying if we pray, hallowed be your name. And this is actually where we find true satisfaction. Because this relationship with God is actually what each one of us were designed for. Because God is glorious. He is worthy. He's good and righteous. He's just. 
He's abounding in loving kindness. And when we see him for who he is, our satisfaction, uh, where we find joy in this life, it can begin to stop resting on whatever goals or pleasures or achievements we want to see in ourselves. And that satisfaction can start being dependent on God and on seeing him honoured, on seeing his glorious, worthy name hallowed. Uh, the Presbyterian Church have a thing called a catechism. Uh, it's a really uh, helpful uh, set of statements, set of questions and answers uh, that help us understand uh, truths about God. And they've got this great question that says, what is the chief end of man? Or what is, the, what is humanity's big purpose, every individual? And here's their answer to that. Man's chief end or the purpose of every human is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, John Piper puts it like this. Uh, same thing, different words. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we find our deepest and greatest joy and satisfaction in God, that's the moment when God gets the most honour. Because we're saying, hey, anything else in this world just pales into, in comparison. It's just not as good. It just doesn't satisfy. It doesn't bring joy, Lord, like seeing your name on it. Our chief end, uh, our prime goal in life is to glorify God and enjoy him. And they go together. See, when we seek God's glory above all else, it doesn't minimise our joy as if in some way it's diverting our efforts away from our own satisfaction. Uh, rather, uh, when we see how good and glorious and right and trustworthy and honourable and loving God is, when we, when we see God for who he is, and when because of what we've seen, our hearts truly long for his name to be hallowed, when we see how glorious he is, how worthy he is of praise, and our hearts join in and long for him to get that praise, that is when we truly find satisfaction and joy. That's when we find peace. Our God, our Father in Jesus, is deserving of worship. Uh, and when our hearts most yearn for this, we actually find that that's the reason we've been made, to have this relationship with God. So I encourage us that this year, 2023, that we'll be praying this. Not just learn these words, but actually pray. Father, in heaven, how will we get there first? Well, it's a true and real relationship with Jesus, trusting and depending on him. Then we can call him Father. Hallowed be your name. Can we say that with honesty? That what I want first, what I want most in all things in this life is that you, my great God, my Father, receive the glory that is due to you. Uh, I'm going to invite us to pray now. Let, let's actually pray this together. Um, we'll see if I can find the right slide. So, um, and, and we'll pray uh, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer together. 
Uh, And we'll read there from halfway through verse 9. I'll lead us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Let's sing.